Welcome to Who Wrote That Up For You, a daily podcast that shines a light on the American justice system and its role in empowering the powerful to take from you. The justice system is the only branch of your government where an individual, rather than the collective, can make the system act for you. It puts power in the individual's hands, but it's broken and being used against you at a time when you need it most. And we are live on Who Wrote That Up For You? Today is Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. Uh, I am Sonia Ebron, co-founder at Courtroom 5. And I am Deborah Sloan, the other co-founder at Courtroom 5. We've got a fantastic show lined up for you today. Uh, in a few moments, we will uh, hear from Richard Granite, uh, who is really one of the grandfathers in the legal tech space. Uh, hard to imagine the development of that space uh, without... Um, uh, his contributions. And so we'll hear about some of the work he's done uh, in the past and what uh, what he's got cooking uh, right now. A little further uh, into the show, we will speak with Mark Atkinson. He runs uh, the Incubator for Legal Practice and Innovation here in beautiful Durham, North Carolina. And so we will uh, hear about some of his experience and what uh, change he wants to make in the legal space. Uh, before we get there, though, Deborah, what is on your mind today? I want to uh, discuss a little bit about the challenge of being uh, in a court case. Uh, here on Who Wrote That Up For You, we don't want to uh, minimize the difficulty of being in court, especially when you're up against the lawyer. It, it is. It's a challenge. And you're, you're deeply involved. It's your case. You're not representing someone else. You're representing your own interest. So there's always lots of emotion around that. And uh, we are no exceptions. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you go to court because you need to be there. Either you're asserting your rights or you're defending yourself. And emotions will come up, fear, anger, and occasionally disgust at the legal system or whatever whatever feelings you're feeling. They never disappear completely, not all of them. I'm never comfortable in court. The best I can do is do very good research do very good writing, and be prepared uh, as, pos as, as much as I can possibly be prepared. And at the end of the day, the most important thing is that you do that, as, that you prepare in that way. Uh, that's more important than, than the feelings that are coming up. Uh, that Those are painful, but it's more important that you be prepared and to just go in and get the work done. That's really, really important. As you as you mentioned, you know, nobody, uh, lay people particularly, don't uh, get involved in litigation willingly. We're there because we you know, we have to be. This is not uh, something that folks do easy. It's not easy work. And those emotions, you're absolutely right. You know, if you've got a personal relationship with the case uh, that you're managing, as all lay people must, then yeah, your emotions can really interfere with um, your ability to handle the case, right? So easy in all areas of life to make bad decisions when your emotions are, are overwhelming. Um, I tell you a, a trick that I use because I feel a lot of fear uh, whenever I'm having to be in court and just dealing with, you know, experienced litigators on the other side and that whole thing. 
I, I, you mentioned fear and anger as two of the primary uh, emotions that people feel. I do my very best to emphasize the anger. Uh, frankly, I find that it helps me mute some of the fear a little bit. You know, I get, you know, a little, um, aggressive and, and certainly it helps with my assertiveness in court, but it helps me to just pick a target, whether it's the opposing party, often a plaintiff that's dragged me into court or, or their lawyer or the court system itself or whatever. I pick a target and I just get mad. I allow myself to feel that emotion over the fear, right? And it, and it tends to help me, uh, act at least a little more confident than I might be. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's so important that people understand you've got to master your emotions if you're dealing with, uh, if you're managing a case on your own. Otherwise, it's really hard to get uh, the work done. So thanks for bringing that up, Deborah. Um, appreciate that. Who Wrote That Up For You is sponsored by Courtroom 5. At Courtroom 5, we believe the courts belong to the people uh, and in particular to the people who use them. And we, the people, are coming to claim our courts. So if you're in court without a lawyer or if you need to sue someone and can't afford uh, a lawyer to represent you, get yourself over to courtroom5.com. Try our services for free uh, and see if we can provide some relief uh, for your situation. It is my great pleasure now to bring uh, onto our podcast Richard Granite. Uh, Richard, I introduced grandfathers uh, in the legal tech space. I want to just say thank you so much for what you've done. Can you share with our listeners just very briefly, because we could be here all day talking about your uh, your decades of contribution. Could you share with us just some of the areas, or some of the uh, work that you've done uh, in your career? Sure. Uh, to give you a little bit of context, uh, in this part of my career, I really started in 1998 when I was 58 years old. And I was actually supervising a pro se clinic at University of Maryland Law School. And uh, while I was there, I was teaching computer technology and the law. And the faculty didn't really think that the Internet was going to be important. They thought it was going to be a fad. So before I left, I created what was called the People's Law Library of Maryland, which was the first legal information website, which is today really run by the court system and gets over a million visitors a year. And and today, almost every state has a legal information uh, website. Uh, so uh, some of the faculty wasn't interested in what I was doing, so I quit and I started a company where a bunch of uh, activities where we were uh, offering automated legal forms in the same way LegalZoom was. And then I created a company called Direct Law, since sold, uh, which provided an online platform so solos and small firms could deliver legal services online. But at the same time, I created a, a law firm which uh, automated all the uh, family law firms in Maryland. It's called MD Family Lawyer. And it's highly informated. There's lots of technology on the site, and the purpose of it is to offer very low-cost legal services in family law at a fixed price to uh, lower moderate-income folks. And we've actually captured uh, a large part of this business in uh, in Maryland. Even though we, I still, 20 years later, can't figure out why lawyers have really not adopted uh, these concepts. And to give you an example. Uh, we do a lot of a uh, huge number of no-fault divorces, and we charge three forty-nine, which is legal advice bundled with uh, legal forms. The average price for that is still three thousand uh, dollars a pop, or four thousand dollars a pop from a traditional lawyer, uh, which simply uh, really amazes me. 
So I'm now, to give you a context, I'm going to be 82 years old. And I'm still actively involved in running this law firm. I actually run it from Florida. And I have two paralegals up in Maryland who do a lot of the work for me. And uh, more recently, I just started a new blog called lawproductmakers.com to help lawyers think about legal applications. Because my whole theory, part of this, I'm on the other end of the spectrum. You're involved in having people go to court. My approach is for things where they don't have to go to court. Software eats the legal industry. We can create software which does lots of routine things, which saves uh, people a huge amounts of money. And if you go to this website, you can see, uh, excuse me, you can see uh, uh, all sorts of tools that I've already created, uh, like uh, bots and legal advice uh, advisories. These are uh, recent things. In addition, we've automated every legal form, so our costs are very low. Uh, they're lower than probably any other law firm in the whole state of Maryland, which is not a small state. We still have five million people, and we still have a, a, get a huge uh, volume from ju uh, just these areas. And, and uh, one of the things that I'm working on now that interests me is that there's not a lot of price transparency between lawyers. Like there's a new firm called Our Mar uh, the Marble Way. You may have seen advertisements for it, and uh, it's a nationwide network of lawyers funded by an underlying technology company. And uh, I've actually shopped them and done some competitive analysis. And in Maryland, they're still charging $4,000 for a no-fault divorce and $1,100 for what's called a quadro order, whereas we charge like $349 or $300. I mean, there's a whole major uh, price gap. But you don't really know that when you go to their website. They say they offer fixed pricing, but their prices are not advertised. So a big problem that I see of lack of transparency in pricing among solo and, and small firms. You don't really know what a fair price is or what you could really get. The only way to break through that, I suppose, with advertising through Google and Facebook to increase the, the information level. Of people. But most people today, uh, I'm talking about consumers, uh, are at a loss when they try and deal with the legal system. They don't know how little they can pay. They don't necessarily know about your service. It's hard for them to find services. And so it's a, I'm doing some work to try and figure out how to increase transparency, either through a website approach or an advertising approach. I see that as a big barrier because I also see that as these software applications and services like yours increase, it has the potential for really opening up access to justice Unfortunately, at the price of taking business away from law firms. The law firm industry is so archaic and so out of uh, such a monopoly that the pricing is really out of the reach of most low and moderate income consumers. Can you imagine having to pay $4,000 for a no-fault divorce? I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, I so cannot. Sure, they get a lot of, they really capture a lot of business that way. So, you know, my mission, and it's still there, I'm still hanging in there. Uh, is to try and figure out ways to inform uh, the public. Uh, even on the People's Law Library, which is now a public legal information website, they, they're not allowed to put kind of pricing for lawyers. There's no lawyer that services on it. And if you go to these marketplaces, you never really know when you connect with a lawyer how much you're going to actually pay. If you go to our website, you'll see the pricing right there, and you'll see that everything is fixed price. And you know We explain it really very clearly. And we continue to capture market share from 
the regular legal profession because of the niche that we operate in. And I, I recommend, you know, for other lawyers who are interested in this approach to figure out ways of digitizing your practice and try and reach out to a latent market for legal services. This latent market for legal services is really huge. Huge. It's yeah. really huge. Absolutely. That's what we're operating in as well. That is fantastic. Richard, you have made very light work afternoon, really addressed um, up front all of the questions that I had for you. I really, again, just want to thank you for the decades of uh, contributions you've made. Uh, certainly, a courtroom five couldn't exist without uh, the examples you gave there. So just really grateful for you. Richard, where can, I'll put your um, family lawyer website up, but yeah. where else can people find you online? They can find me through this website or through my blog, which is Law Product Makers. There's contact information on there. So the company that I started and since sold was called Direct Law. It's one of a number of companies that now provide a platform for the delivery of online legal services. So if lawyers are watching this, there's something they should look into. Clio also now has new tools that enable you to do this. When we started, we were the first, but now there are other companies that are out there. Yeah, the, the future for online legal services is the future for legal services. All legal law practices are going to be digitized at some point. You won't be able to survive unless you digitize your practice. Uh, but I can't. I got to tell you, I've been doing this for twenty years. I can't believe it's been this long before the profession's really caught up. I mean, it's uh, still a long I'm, way to go. I'm off. I, I said this in two thousand. I was head of the e lawyering task force of the ABA, and I said in five years. Uh, all law practices are going to be delivering legal services online. I was only off by at least at least fifteen years. So, uh, uh, That's right. We've got some time. We've got some my time. Life, in history, of my career. I'm always off by about twenty years. But That's all right. It, yeah, it's, it's it's longevity that matters. Thank you so much, Richard. Okay, we'll have you, you back thank on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Take care and good luck. Bye bye. Fantastic. It is always such a pleasure uh, to speak with uh, with Richard. And I neglected to mention uh, that Richard is also one of the advisors, uh, members, and uh, donors, in fact, of the, the new Justice Technology Association. So I uh, just want to shout him out for that uh, as well and, and say thank you. Uh, Deborah, what is, um, uh, who won yesterday's challenge and, uh, and what is today's challenge? Well, unfortunately, no one won yesterday's challenge. The question was, what are four ways you can respond to a complaint? There are a number of, of different uh, answers uh, to this, but uh, I picked out four. Uh, one is the motion for extension of time, which a lot of people don't know about. They don't know that they can ex uh, extend the time for their answer. A motion to dismiss. Uh, in some states, you can also do a demur. And then there's the answer in affirmative defenses. Again, there was no winner, so no clapping or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so tomorrow's so quiz. But before you get there, Deborah, I did want to just uh, mention, um, you know, one of the unfortunately very common responses to a complaint is to just ignore it. Uh, we see so many people just taking a default judgment and, you know, that can have severe consequences, uh, life altering consequences in, in many uh, respects. And that, you know, it's good, I think, for people to understand, even though no one uh, contributed these answers, uh, that there are some, uh, a range of things that you can do uh, to respond to a complaint that at least you can put up a fight and maybe get a better settlement. So no, yeah, don't want to give legal advice, but it's good at least to have uh, this information. So thank you for sharing that. All right. So tomorrow's quiz, 
What's the difference between a motion to quash and a motion to strike? What's the difference between a motion to quash and a motion to strike? If you want to participate in the quiz, send your responses to quiz at courtroom5.com. That's great. That one's going to be fun. And I think we have uh, certainly some lawyers in the audience, but also uh, some lay people. Even if you don't um, uh, know it exactly, send us an answer. I want to be able to clap uh, for people and, and, and congratulate our winners. So, uh, so absolutely want to see some answers there tomorrow. Uh, at this time, I am so happy to bring on uh, to our podcast, Mark Atkinson. Mark is the director of the uh, Incubator for Legal Practice and Innovation uh, here in Durham, North Carolina. Mark, welcome to Who Wrote That Up for You. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's it's an honor. I had a flashback, uh, a little bit of trauma with that civil procedure question. <laughs> um, please don't quiz me right now. <laughs> You're a young lawyer. You're not a young man, obviously, but you're a young lawyer. You've been practicing only for a couple of years. And so you are most likely to have the answers to those sorts of <laughs> questions. <laughs> it, it does ring a bell. I do remember talking about that. When you don't deal with it every day, it does get a little stale. So I'm going to say it's a little stale. So forgive me, Professor Green, for not knowing at the top of my head the difference between a motion to quash and a motion to strike. I'm going to make sure they all watch uh, this episode. So, uh, Mark, you um, you spent 25 years as an engineer working for a um, consulting engineering firm, a big one here in the area, uh, prior to going to law school. So this is really a second uh, career for you. And I know uh, in that experience, having that experience as an engineer uh, prior and now understanding some of the legal space, you probably find yourself asking more often than not, Know, about the legal space. Why, why is that? Can't there be a better way uh, of doing that? With your brief time in the industry, but long career, um, uh, can, you know, what are some of the things that you've witnessed in legal uh, where you have to ask that question? What, you know, can't there be a better way? Sure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been an attorney a little over two years Prior to that, as you said, I had a 25-year career in consulting. So I've been around the block and I do scratch my head uh, several times. Why are we doing it this way? And, you know, your previous uh, guest touched on some of these things. He used the word archaic. And w the way I phrased it when I was in law school and since then is that oftentimes I feel like the legal profession is stuck in the 19th century, um, stuck in the 19th century in terms of its language, some of its processes. And, you know, it's not it hasn't been brought up to the 21st century, whether it's e-filing or embrace of technology Many court systems still use a fax machine, and the only people that I know that still require fax machines are some court systems in the IRS, and <laughs> I, I can't explain the IRS. I had to submit something to the IRS by fax about a month or two ago, and I couldn't believe it's still being required, but they would only accept it by fax. So yeah, there's the lack of embracing technology that I just, this is the 21st century, why can't we why can't the legal system? Um, and there's other matters, too, that just seem uh, stuck in the 19th century in terms of uh, I would imagine this group has or will talk about limited uh, licensed professionals and just how that can help uh, improve access to justice at a more affordable rate where paralegals and legal assistants have been limited in what they can do um, to the detriment of attorneys and to the detriment of the public. 
And that's a head scratcher to me. Um, and, and one thing that really baffles me, um, in, in my prior career, I was a professional engineer. So I was a licensed engineer. I had to take an exam. I had a certificate. I was a professional engineer. And um, engineering firms, uh, we had codes of conduct as engineers for the good of the public. Um, and uh, an, an engineering firm could be owned by anybody. It wasn't restricted to just engineers. So we had business professionals. We had IT professionals. We had accounting professionals and engineers who were owners of uh, the firm that I worked for. And, and it was to the um, benefit of the firm, and I believe to the benefit of its employees and the benefit of the public, that we had that wealth of knowledge leading the firm, guiding the firm. And I think in the legal profession, um, I think we hurt ourselves as attorneys when we limit ownership. That's something the public may not really know, but I, behind the scenes, I'm coming at it as an attorney. Um, I think we hurt ourselves when we don't open up ownership um, to non, non-attorneys, um, accounting professionals, IT professionals, business professionals. It'll be a better run business. It'll be a better public service when attorneys allow that ownership stake um, in their firm. Now, some of my peers would argue against that and say, um, and I'll, I'll listen and I'll smile and I'll just say, I think you're mistaken. Um, so uh, those are just some things. I'm, I'm getting on my soapbox, but those are some things that just immediately struck me as a head scratcher and um, that, that limit people's ability to get solutions to have their legal problems solved. That's right. That's right. And, and as you know, we would need uh, change in the model rules, changes in the rules nationwide. Each state uh, has its own rules, but they're very similar about law firm ownership and, and some other restrictions that sort of stifle innovation, at least in, in my um, in my opinion. And I should share with the audience that um, um, your your incubator is one of our partners helping us uh, be able to access legal services for our customers. You know, in an ideal world, Courtroom 5 would simply hire lawyers to deliver those services. But it's those same rules that you highlight there uh, that prevent us from, from doing that. So we're very happy to find organizations like yours uh, to, to work through. Let me ask you then, given that um, uh, context of the probably dozens of things we could point to that need to change in the legal profession, where is your energy focused on uh, these days in terms of changing some of these things? Yeah, thank you for asking. The the Given the host of problems, there's a lot of places where I could focus. But what, what I've chosen to focus in, midway through law school, uh, about three and a half years ago, I came across this idea of a legal incubator. And it was um, basically the idea is uh, an incubator that helps attorneys um, start financially sustainable practices that improve access to justice. And so that's what I've invested my time and energy into is creating this nonprofit, the Incubator for Legal Practice and Innovation, where I am um, have right now I've got a cohort of eight attorneys that are early on in launching their own law firm, their law, their law firm their, as a business. Um, they want to make a living. They have bills to pay. They have kids to get through school. They have rent or a, a mortgage to pay. They also want to make an impact in their community to help people with legal problems. And they want to do it in a way that's affordable to people. There was a mention about the latent legal market. There are plenty of attorneys that um, 
serve the high income folks of this country. There's no lack of attorneys for that. There's a few attorneys that um, valiantly serve lower income legal aid and they need more help. There's a big middle modest means, middle income folks that with the right kind of pricing, um, Richard talked about transparent pricing and there's, there's enough of a market there where attorneys, I believe, can do well, make a living and do good in the process. And so the incubator is very much focused on the business side of running a legal practice to help those attorneys that want to make a social impact for good, um, help them figure out a way to price, to market, to have the right accounting systems in place, to have the right client intake that's client-centric and helping the client in the process so that they can make a living and do good in the process. So that's what um, and it requires some innovation. It requires the use of technology. It requires the use of being client-centric and empathetic and partnering with organizations like Courtroom 5 to make the most sense. How can we best serve the client? What can the client do themselves? What do they need an attorney for? And how to do that in a smart way. So that's what the incubator is all about. Um, and that's what that's where I've been focusing my energy uh, uh, over the last two years. Extraordinary, extraordinary. You know, with you in Durham and Courtroom 5 in Durham and the North Carolina Central uh, University School of Law and all the innovation they've got going on, we're going to uh, we're going to put the city on the map on access to justice. We are going to solve this problem, I have no doubt. Uh, Mark, where can uh, folks find you online? I'm going to share your uh, website, your incubator's Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Innovationlegal.org. That's the website. Um, And simply mark at innovationlegal.org is my email. Um, So I'm not big on TikTok and Instagram. I'm not cool enough for that. Um, So an email or that website is the best way to do it. Fantastic. Mark, we'll have you back on soon. We've got a lot. I know you've got a lot cooking. uh, And so we'll be happy to stay in touch uh, and share what uh, we are both doing uh, here in Durham. Thank you so much for joining. Who wrote that up for you? All right. You know, Deborah, we have uh, such exciting conversations, I think. But um, uh, what, what we've shared, I think, today with Richard Granite's deep history and background in uh, legal tech and uh, Mark, a young attorney, taking it from there and really benefiting, as many of us do, from uh, from Richard's work in the past and the, and the current. You know, I think we have got to uh, understand that some change is being made uh, in the legal practice and uh, and in access to justice as well. Yeah, it's interesting that they both kind of touched a little bit on uh, UPL, Unlicensed Practice of Law, uh, in terms of what uh, is allowed and what is not allowed. And uh, I, I think at, at some future date, I'll have that as a big issue, <laughs> uh, the UPL thing, because it's, you know, um, lawyers really, there's, there's only so much they can do within the law to help people. And it's, you know, um, and, and uh, people who aren't lawyers, there's only so much they can do to help people. And, and, uh, that's unfortunate. Yep. We are going to make a change for sure. All right. That's all we have for you today. Uh, as always, we'll see you on who wrote that up for you tomorrow. Thanks so much for joining us. Are you feeling beleaguered, angry, or afraid as if things are spinning out of control and you're powerless to stop them? 
It's easy to just let things slide and hope they don't get worse. But they often do get worse. The thing is, you're not powerless. Our courts belong to us. And their purpose is to give power to the powerless. Don't let your grievances pile up without redressing them. You can handle this in court. Or if someone takes you to court, you can take them to school.